Not everything in life is as straightforward and intuitive as we might think. Some things in life are counterintuitive. For example, we might think that being given a wide array of choices would make our selection easy, but the opposite is actually true. The fewer choices that we have, the easier it is to make a choice. Or we might think that if we show vulnerability, if we open up emotionally, people will, ma- will think that we're weak. But the opposite's true. When we're vulnerable, people actually perceive us as strong. Or you might think that on a particularly busy week, it might be best to work longer hours and get less sleep. But typically, people who are well-rested, even if they don't work quite as long, will outperform those who work more hours if they're sleep-deprived. There are all sorts of examples in life that are counterintuitive things that don't go as we might anticipate. Christ's kingdom is a counterintuitive kingdom. Christ's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Today, in our gospel lesson, we're going to hear Jesus giving a list of things that seem like negatives. And he's going to say, those things are blessed. And then we're going to see Jesus giving a list of things that seem very positive, And he's going to say, those people need to watch out. In Christ's kingdom, we see that we don't put our trust in our blessings. Instead, we place our trust in the blessed one who has made us a part of his heavenly kingdom. Our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 6 takes place early on in Jesus' ministry. It's so early, in fact, that Jesus has just called his 12 disciples. He took these 12 men up on top of a mountain, and there he selected them to to follow him throughout his ministry. We We pick up the account right after this has taken place. This group of 13 descends the mountain onto the plain, and they're met by a whole crowd of people who is waiting for Jesus These people, they came to Jesus to hear him speak, and they came to be healed. Jesus quickly got to work doing what these people expected. He spoke kindly to them, healed their diseases, and drove out demons. Jesus showed his great care for the physical needs of his people. And then Jesus turned his attention from the crowd to his newly selected group of 12 disciples— These men had no pressing physical ailment that needed to be healed, though they did have much to learn about what it looked like to be a follower of Christ. Jesus caught their attention with essentially a set of would-you-rather questions. These same questions serve as a wonderful exercise for us today as well. So would you rather be wealthy or poor? Which one would you choose? Or would you rather be hungry or would you rather be well fed or hungry? Would you rather have lots of friends or would you rather be an outcast of society? Would you rather be happy or would you rather be sad? It doesn't take a genius to answer those questions. Of course, we would prefer the optimal choices. We would much rather have enough money and food to provide for our families. We would much rather be happy. We we enjoy the company of good friends. It would take a fool to select the objectively worst choices. Or would it? 
Jesus takes this set of would-you-rather questions and he turns things upside down. Jesus tells his disciples and he says to us, Blessed are you who are poor. Being poor doesn't seem like a blessing. Jesus continues, Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Those items don't sound like a list of blessings. Those sound like things that happen when a person isn't living the correct way. Jesus continues on in this counterintuitive train of thought. He then gives a list of warnings. He says, Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well fed now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. That list of items doesn't sound like curses. That sounds like what happens when a person does live the correct way. What is Jesus saying in this sermon? Is he telling us that it's, it's wrong to have the nice things in life? Is he saying that it's wrong to be wealthy, well-fed, and happy? Well, no. There are places in the Bible that do mention these items as blessings. We hear in Deuteronomy 8, for example, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Or in Psalm 145, we hear that it is God who opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. And even better than physical possessions and blessings, we hear in Proverbs 22, A good name is more desirable than great wealth. Respect is better than silver or gold. Why then does Jesus include this list of blessings in a setting where they're being warned against? It's not the blessings that Jesus is warning about. Instead, it's our trust, our reliance, our obsession with the earthly blessings that Jesus is giving us these warnings. He doesn't want us to fall into a place where we begin to trust in the outward blessings. You remember that famous passage from 1 Timothy 6 verse 10? It's often quoted and maybe just as often it's misquoted. It goes like this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money that's evil, not the money. This is an issue of the heart. This is all about where your trust lies. What do you do to find your comfort when life goes sideways? Jesus spoke about those who were poor, those who were hungry, those who were weeping, those who were shunned by society. He said those people were blessed. He told those people, yours is the kingdom of God. These people were beggars. They had very little. They didn't place their trust in the outward blessings. They're like people who are going to a banquet with the king. They came with empty hands and empty stomachs. If you were on the way to have dinner with the king, you certainly wouldn't stop and fill up on fast food. No, you'd want to come hungry. You'd want to come so that you could receive from your king. People who fill up on earthly blessings and place their trust in those things, it's like people who try and bring something to a great banquet. They, be, they maybe ask, shouldn't I bring a dish to pass? Shouldn't I bring something of my own to share? The answer is no. 
Instead, we come with empty hands and we freely receive from our heavenly king. Has it struck you yet why Jesus spoke these words to his disciples when he did? This is early on in Jesus' ministry. Jesus might be at the height of his earthly popularity. Sure, there are some who don't like his message. There are some who have rejected him. But there was a lot more of that to come. And right now, Jesus was gathering around himself a great number of people. These people, they came to get healed by Jesus. And the more Jesus healed them, the more people seemed to show up. If Jesus' earthly popularity was a new stock on the stock market, the stock price would be booming. It'd be going up, up, up. But Jesus needs to orient his disciples and he needs to orient us as well to his heavenly kingdom. Right now, Jesus may have been enjoying a great number of blessings on earth. He might have been enjoying popularity that wasn't the reason that he came. He came with his heavenly kingdom in mind. And doing things that were good for the heavenly kingdom, well, that wouldn't always result in earthly success. From an earthly kingdom point of view, the whole ministry of Jesus looks completely upside down. Jesus, he lived as a nomadic wanderer, walking from place to place, town to town, He didn't really have a house that he could call his own home. Jesus, he poured his life into preaching and teaching and healing. And we might think that would create a great amount of people supporting him. That would forge enduring relationships. But eventually the crowds became a bit less favorable. Even that group of 12 disciples would abandon Jesus at the end of his life, seeking greener pastures. Jesus would mourn and cry over the city of Jerusalem, the city that had rejected him. It was that city of Jerusalem who rewarded his tears by nailing him to a cross where he died. What would possess a person to create such an upside-down plan? Why would a person continually choose the more grueling option instead of picking what was easier in life? Well, Jesus made this plan because of the result. Jesus had this upside-down plan because by doing all of this hard labor, he was earning for us a great reward in heaven. After dying, Jesus turned death upside down. He raised himself back to life. Now all who place their trust in him, they will be blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of God. They will get to be with Christ all their days. I've never heard of a king doing so much to bring a foreigner into their kingdom. Especially not a foreigner who by nature hated the king. But that's what Jesus did. He took on these lowly circumstances for us, to bring us into his kingdom. That day on Palm Sunday, when he entered into Jerusalem, the crowds cheered and sang, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the Blessed One suffered and died. All this Jesus did so that we could be his own, so that we could enter into his kingdom so that we could receive our heavenly reward that lies in him. One of my favorite children's books is the book, The Empty Pot. 
Maybe you've heard this one before. There was once a boy named Ping. Ping lived in the land of China a long, long time ago. At the time, Ping was quite the green thumb. Whatever he sought to grow, he could grow it. If he wanted to plant a garden, he could do that. If he wanted to grow flowers, he had great success with that as well. At the time, the emperor of the land, he also enjoyed agriculture and using the land to produce beautiful things. And most of all, the emperor loved flowers. Flowers were his favorite thing, his heart's delight. And so, when it finally came time for the emperor to pick uh, the person who would succeed him, he decided to have a flower-growing contest. So he called all the children from the kingdom to his palace, and he gathered them all up, and he gave them each one small seed. He told all the children to return in a year's time and show them and to show him what they had grown. Ping thought, this sounded excellent. This was going to be a piece of cake. He could grow flowers like there is no tomorrow. He took his seed all the way home and he planted it in the soil carefully and he began to water it. And each day he'd water it a little more and a little more and he waited and he waited and he waited, but nothing grew. It seemed like no matter what he did, nothing was growing from this seed. Eventually, a year passed and Ping had only an empty pot. He reluctantly picked up his pot and began to walk to the king's palace. Along the way, he saw many other children with bright, beautiful flowers these children would ridicule Ping and make fun of him for bringing an empty pot to the emperor. But he kept going, and eventually all the children got to the palace. The emperor came out and started to inspect all the flowers that he saw. He carefully took a look at each and every plant, but a frown started to grow on his face. And the more he inspected the beautiful flowers, the more he began to frown, until finally... He came to Ping in his empty pot. He asked Ping why he had brought an empty pot to his palace. Ping burst into tears. He explained to the emperor he was trying his best, but nothing was growing. All the other children again began to make fun of Ping in his empty flower pot. Then the emperor's smile, or then the emperor's frown began to turn into a smile. He explained to everyone there, all the seeds that I gave you were cooked. There was nothing that you could grow from what I gave you. Only Ping trusted in my words. And because he trusted me, he will become the next emperor. It would have been easy for Ping to try and trust in his own abilities and blessings. He could have taken a different seed and planted it and tried to bring that to the emperor. But he didn't. Instead, Ping trusted the words of the emperor, and because of his trust, he received his blessing. We have a heavenly kingdom that sometimes looks upside down. We might try and put our trust in our own blessings and all the outward abilities that we have, but we hear in these words from Jesus that those who trust in themselves and their blessings will be cursed. Instead, we place our trust in the Blessed One, Jesus, who came to bring us into his heavenly kingdom. He tells us, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, 
because great is your reward in heaven. Amen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Amen. Please.